Well, as we all know, it shouldn't be news to anyone that next Sunday is Easter. We celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And I'll be preaching on the resurrection next Lord's Day. So I thought it'd be appropriate and edifying for all of us this morning if we talked about the atonement. And we hear that word often, atonement. We have some sense of what that means. It's reconciliation between God and sinners through Jesus Christ. But what's on the, the back end of that is, is an awareness that there's this relationship that's been severed, right? There's a party that's been wronged and amends must be made. Man's sin and rebellion against God is nothing less than cosmic treason. And amends must be made. But how can fallen man, born in sin, stained by sin, possibly make amends with a righteous and holy God that is so supremely holy and pure and good, so good that he, he can't even have anything to do with the slightest imperfection? How, how's that possible? Sin keeps man at odds with God for eternity, and the thing we need most to be reconciled to our maker isn't even possible for us. Do, do you get the, that sense of desperation there? That's more devastating than the greatest Shakespearean tragedy you have ever read. I mean, you talk about hopeless. We love stories that break our hearts and make us feel things deeply. We love stories about unrequited love and those near misses and betrayals, but not all of them combined can compare to the tragedy of the human condition. You feel that? Destined for outer darkness. Pronounced eternally guilty and damned. There's no, there's, there's no parole. There's no amount of community service that you can do to make up for this. There's, a, there's no amount of pleading or payment that can appease God for our crimes against Him. Our only God Himself can make atonement for the sins of His own creatures against Him. And the good news is, he has. You know, God doesn't have a plan B. This has been his plan from all along. He doesn't have a plan B. There's no backup plan. Because God doesn't just sit back and react to his creatures' actions and to see what they would do. You know, he's foreordained whatsoever comes to pass by the counsel of his own will, and he is preserving and governing all of his creatures and all of their actions all of the time. And what his sovereign plan drives at, and what every page of Scripture whispers to us from Genesis to genuine leather, is redemption. Redemption. Reconciliation between God and man. Love to the point of death. The blood of the innocent for the life of the guilty. There's only ever been plan A 
And you can write this down if you want. A stands for atonement. We're going to see how God was teaching the people of Israel all the way back in Leviticus, this very important lesson, and it's the main idea of our sermon this morning. Only God can atone for the sins of his people. I'm going to read for you Leviticus 16, that whole chapter here in just a minute, about the Day of Atonement. But before we do, I'm going to go ahead and give you sort of the outline, the points of the sermon. So as we're reading it, you begin to see these things falling into place. So first, we require atonement for sin. Second, atonement for sin requires blood. Third, atonement for sin requires a mediator. And fourth, lasting atonement requires the blood of a sinless mediator. So let's read Leviticus chapter 16. Now hear the words of the one true and living God. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bowl from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body, and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bowl as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azaziel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering but the goat on which the lot fell for Azaziel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azaziel. Aaron shall present the bowl as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bowl as a sin offering for himself. And he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small. And he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bowl and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bowl, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. 
No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins." And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place and put on his garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people, and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And the bowl for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either in the native or the stranger who sojourns among you, for on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. And he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Father in heaven, Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have, we have your word in its entirety, that we can look on this passage with a clarity that was not afforded to them in the time, that we can see the purpose for this. Lord, I pray that that would be communicated clearly this morning among your people, that we would know that Jesus is our high priest, the perfect sacrifice given once for all for sin to atone for your people. Lord God, I pray that you would be with me, that you would move me out of the way, that you would be pleased to use me this morning to speak your word to your people. Lord, bless us. Bless us as we look at your word this morning and understand the price paid for sinners like us. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
It's a long passage. There's a lot going on. We'll take our time with it. In verse 1, right in the beginning, you see something referred to there that took place back in chapter 10. The high priest, Aaron, had two sons, Nadab and Abihu. And they tried to approach God and worship him the way they wanted to instead of the way that God had prescribed. And they were struck dead. You know, we don't, we don't, we don't come to God just the way we want to. We come the way he has commanded. So before Aaron goes about doing all of this that God is about to command regarding this ritual on this day and this sacrifice, there's a solemn reminder here and warning. It must be done as God commands. Be careful to do as God commands. And the first thing he tells Moses to tell Aaron in verse 2 is that he may not just come and go into the holy place behind the veil as he pleases. And if he does, he will die. The very presence of God is there. And you see, for I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat, he says. The mercy seat, the lid or the covering of the Ark of the Covenant, where God said he would dwell among his people. The message is clear. You, covered in sin and plagued by evil, may not approach God without being invited. And once invited, there are stipulations. Aaron has to bring a bowl and a ram for himself and bathe and put on special garments. You see this in verses 3 and 4. So right away we get a sense of point number one. We require atonement for sin. Sin separates us from God. Atonement must be made. Sin is serious. Eternal separation from God, that's what it costs. God can't have anything to do with our filth. And here you have the high priest of Israel. The high priest of Israel. And his access to God is severely restricted. You see that? Only once a year and on this occasion and under very special circumstances is he allowed to draw near to the holiness of God. The first thing he has to do, as we just said, is he has to bathe, he has to put on these special garments in verse 4. God, in the book of Leviticus, has just finished going into extensive detail about cleanliness. In chapters 11 through 15, he's talking about what is clean, what is unclean, what to do when you've become unclean. And what do you suppose God gave all those laws for? Was he a germaphobe? You know, he's telling them to stay, he's, he's declaring that there are things that are unclean that he himself made and said was good. So what, what, is, what is with all of that? All these cleanliness laws, just whimsy? Just to make life difficult for them? No, when you read that, and it feels weighty, it should, because God's trying to communicate something to them. He's trying to communicate something to them through the way they go about doing everything they do in life. And here's what he's communicating. You and me are not okay. That's what he's communicating. You are unclean, and I can't have anything to do with you unless you have been made clean. And then we have this beautiful chapter. 
that comes right on the tail end of that, the Day of Atonement, where God gives very specific instructions on how his people can be made clean so that their sin can be removed from them and he can be pleased to carry on dwelling with them and preserving them and going on fighting their enemies for them to bring them into a land that he's promised, to establish them as a nation, a nation that would be a blessing to all other nations, to bring about that seed of the woman promised to Adam all the way back in the garden in Genesis 3.15, that seed of the woman that would be the redeemer. So this cleanliness stuff, it highlights, it accentuates our separation and our need for atonement for sin. We have sin offerings here for Aaron and for his house. You see that? Sin offerings for him, himself, and his house. Sin offerings for Israel. Atonement being made because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of all their transgressions, it says. All their sins, verse 16. All their sins. And we see Israel's unholiness described three ways so so that we get a sense of that all that's spoken of here. Their unholiness is described as their iniquities, their sins, their uncleanness. When we think of iniquities, we're talking about that rebellious sin, that willful transgression of the law of God. Yeah, I know God said, I don't care, I want to do what I want to do anyway. Okay, Their iniquities, their sins, more of a generic term for all of their careless wrongdoings and deeds and acts against their holy God that they are in covenant with. And then they're in cleanness. They're all encompassing impurity and unworthiness to be in relationship with a God who is holy and pure and perfect. So we get the sense then, or at least we should, that despite all these laws that they've been given to keep them clean and undefiled, they are not clean. Atonement must be made. We require atonement, and what cleanses, what purifies, is blood. So point number two, atonement for sins requires blood. The word blood appears eight times in four verses there, in verses 14 through 18. We've got Aaron slaughtering a bull and sprinkling it on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant on the east side. Remember, we've said this before, the Hebrews were Eastern-oriented people. Adam and Eve were exiled out east of Eden. It is an eastward journey away from the presence of God, but also eastward that he is leading them back into a place of promise. And then he sprinkles some more blood on the front of the mercy seat seven times. You may know this already, but in case you don't, seven times, it's a number of completion that's used a lot in Scripture, a fullness to that number, a sign sealed delivered, a completeness to it. So after the blood of the bull to make atonement for himself and his house, Aaron then kills one of the goats. Remember, there's two. He kills one of the goats. He brings its blood inside the veil, and he repeats these steps. Then he goes out to the altar with the blood of the bull and with the blood of the goat, and he splashes it over the horns of the altar and all around it. So don't picture this as a tidy scene. This is not a tidy ritual. Dehek would have a fit over this. They've taken poor innocent animals from their herds, opened their throats, and bled them out. 
There's blood everywhere. This is a bloody scene. The wages of sin is death. And if you had been there to see it, there's no way you could have missed that important lesson. And it turns out it requires the death of one not guilty for the sins being atoned for. Don't miss that. If man's blood were shed, it could not atone because man is guilty of the very sin that needs atonement. We can't atone for our own sin. Only God can atone for the sins of his people. And someone, someone has to go before us. Someone has to stand between us and God. Someone has to go before God on our behalf to offer the atonement God prescribes. So point number three, atonement for sin requires a mediator. Aaron's the guy. This is Aaron's job. Aaron has been set apart to the task of making intercession for God's people. Moses is given the commands directly from God and hands them over to God's delegate, Aaron, for this special task. Aaron's our guy. Aaron goes before God on behalf of the people because they can't go on their own behalf. He and only he, Aaron, is permitted to enter this holy of holies. Aaron and only Aaron their mediator, is permitted to come into the presence of God once a year on this special day under very special circumstances. And when he does, you see he bathes and changes his clothes. Looking back again at verse 4, and he, he, what you see here is he, the, the, priests, the priesthood would have been decked out. God commands them to have these, these fine clothes that makes them distinct and set apart from the people. They belong to the people of God corporately, but they have been set apart to a special task. And even their clothes scream that. Uh, beautiful garments with, with jewels and, and stones and metals on them. God says, take those off, put on these simple linen cloths that God has declared holy. These are only worn by him for this purpose once a year. And then he takes them off and leaves them there, puts his other stuff back on. You saw that. And then look at verses 12 through 13 again. Let's read that. Look there. It says, And he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small. And he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony, so that he does not die. So Aaron brings in a shovel full of coal and incense and creates an aromatic fog in the room behind the veil. Why? To cover the mercy seat where the presence of God is. Well, why has he got to do that? So that he may not die. There's two ways to look at this. We know elsewhere in Exodus 33 that man cannot look on God and live. Right? So maybe this is to hide Aaron's eyes from the presence of God so that he does not die. Or maybe it's a covering of protection for Aaron to mask and camouflage the stench of his sin so, from the presence of God so that the wrath of God does not consume him. Either way, point taken, right? We can't just 
waltz up all willy-nilly on God. This is the one true and living almighty God. Nonetheless, someone has to do this, right? Someone, someone has to show up on our behalf. You signing up for that job, by the way? It's a terrifying thing. Someone has to do it. Somebody has to go. We need a mediator. Someone has to go on our, on our behalf because we cannot go on our own behalf. We need a mediator. So what kind of things do we see the mediator does on this Day of Atonement? Obviously, making sacrifices, right? And some of these animals are slaughtered and their blood is used in the ceremony. Some are specifically designated for a burnt offering. You see one is designated to carry sin away from the people. We'll get into that. Remember, there's two goats, one that is dedicated to the Lord as a sacrifice, and the other is a scapegoat. It says there in verse 8 that Aaron is to cast lots over the two goats. Casting lots would be something like rolling dice or flipping a coin, but nothing quite as vulgar as that, right, the way that we would think of it today. This is something that God commanded. He commanded, he commanded them to do this so that through that, he would direct Aaron as to which goat was to be slaughtered and which one was to be sent away. You see, they're one for the Lord and the other for Azazel. The one for the Lord was a sin offering, but verse 10, the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Now it's said, curiosity killed the cat, but satisfaction brought it back. So, quick commentary on the whole Azazel thing, because I know we're curious. There's some folklore stuff about how Azazel was a demon that ruled in the wilderness. And so one offering was made to Yahweh and the other to this demon to appease it. But there's no biblical merit to that whatsoever. God commands this, okay? And God forbids offerings and sacrifices to demons, so most probably the name Azazel, which translates goat that goes away, is probably more of a, 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 a description of its function. Its name is a description of its function. It carries the sin of God's people far from them, away from them, out of the camp. And then Aaron is the mediator between God and man and the atonement being made for them. He you see, he lays his hands, he lays both his hands on the goat's head there, verse 21. He confesses over it all of the iniquities of the people, all of their transgressions, all of their sins, and symbolically transfers them to the goat and sends them away, sends the goat away, somewhere far off, somewhere cut off from God's covenant community so that it would never return. That's what the mediator does. Offers the blood sacrifice to satisfy God's judgment due for sin, the wages of sin is death. And he removes the sin of God's people so he can be pleased to dwell among them. Can't have God in the camp of sins in the camp. So atonement for sin requires a mediator. Problem is, you know, you think of this, you, you can send that goat as far away as you want to. 
and sin will still find its way back. Because that's who we are. That's what we do. The results then seem so temporary. We've got a problem here. You know, you can imagine the day after the atonement, they're heaping up enough sin to be looking forward to next year already. So point number four, lasting atonement for sin requires a sinless mediator and a better sacrifice. You see verses 29 through 34 there that this holy day that has been prescribed to make God's people clean before the Lord from all their sins is to carry on once a year, every year, forever. And the yearly repetition shows us that the sacrifices were not sufficient to remove sin from God's people so that he could be present with them. Like I just said, the day after we slip up, we fall, you know, whether, whether it's just the general impurity that we talked about, the uncleanness, whether it's willful transgressions against the law of God or just general unknowing foolishness and sins against God, we've piled them up again and we got to wait till next year. The yearly repetition pronounces to us that it's not sufficient. Ultimately, though, by faith, they were looking forward to something else. These people believed the same thing you and I believe, that God will save us, that God will redeem us. He will atone for our sins and redeem us. They looked forward to what we get to look back on. What, what, what they would have seen through a foggy windshield, we see clearly in our rearview mirror, the cross. The perfect sacrifice, the perfect mediator. They had Aaron, they had a mediator. But Aaron had to make atonement for himself before he could make atonement for the people. Do you see that? He has to make atonement for himself before he can make atonement for the people, and then he has to include himself in that people that needs atonement. Jesus had no sin of his own to atone for. Aaron had to cleanse himself and clothe himself with clothes that were symbolic of righteousness so that he could approach the presence of God. But Jesus, the eternal Son of God, is eternally pure, perfect righteousness. No need for symbols. Aaron had to mask his presence in the presence of God with smoke and pleasing incense to keep from dying. Jesus is the presence of God that Aaron approached with fear and trembling. Jesus is that mercy seat, that covering of the Ark of the Covenant that was smeared with the blood that was for the guilt of sin, so that God could meet with us. Aaron entered the holy place once a year with the blood of bulls and rams. Jesus entered once by his own blood into the holy place, a holy place not made with hands. We're not talking about the Ark of the Covenant. We're talking about the true heaven to appear before the face of God on behalf of his people in order to secure eternal redemption for us. Not only has the guilt of our sin been removed from us, but the wrath of God due for sin has been satisfied. 
finally. Something the blood of bulls and goats could never do. Because a man has to die for man's sin. An animal can't represent man who is made in God's own image. And here's the other problem. That man has to be God because any man born of Adam can't atone for his own sin, much less be man's representative. And so our Savior came and was born without sin, lived without sin, and then took our sins upon himself, shedding his own blood so that we could be reconciled to God, our maker. He was not only worthy of offering the sacrifice as a better high priest, as a sinless mediator, he was the sinless sacrifice for God's people. He was the chef that prepared the meal and the meal itself. And his sacrifice wasn't behind closed doors. It wasn't done in secret. It wasn't done behind a veil. It wasn't carried out behind a closed curtain by a royal priesthood. It was out in the open for all to see, on display. The curtain torn in two from top to bottom, from heaven to earth. And now because of this, you can approach God directly through Christ, our perfect mediator. We have the boldness, y'all. Don't leave here missing this this morning. You have the boldness to enter into that holy of holies every day through Christ Jesus. The only way you don't have that boldness and that access is if you don't believe the points I've given you this morning. that your sin requires atonement, that atonement for sin requires blood, that you need a mediator to atone for your sin because you can't atone for your own sin. You can't just go to God on your own behalf. You need a mediator, and his name is Jesus, the great high priest who offered himself blameless in your place so that you would be reconciled to God. You've heard that message clearly this morning, though, haven't you? You will be held accountable for having heard it. That's just, that's just the truth. Them's just the facts. So choose. Choose this day whether you will follow the way of the world, believing that you don't need saving, or trusting in something that cannot save in order to save you, or surrender your life completely to Christ, who alone can atone for your sins and reconcile you to the God who made you. Receive that gospel warning that we read of in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 27, that tells us if we hear this, if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
it's a more fearful thing still to have been offered this life-giving message of the gospel and to reject it. To know that your problem of separation from God, eternal separation from God, your destiny to outer darkness has been resolved in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And to turn away from that is a dreadful thing. You see this table? This is the gospel on display for you in a way that you don't just hear, but that you can see and that you can taste. Where God offers you a way to take the words, to take the message, the good news that you've just heard, and put it in your mouth and bite down on it. to take them into your physical body for the nourishment of your soul. This that we're about to do, it's weird. It should be weird to the rest of the world. This is our ritual. This is where we meet with Jesus to receive the grace that he has afforded us through his body and his blood. And all it requires to come is that you have been washed in the Savior's blood. You can't come unclean. And you can't make yourself clean. Try as you may, you can try to make that little black card red all you want to. Ain't going to get there. If you have been cleansed by the blood of Christ, you have made that known publicly through baptism, through a public confession, and by submitting to the authority that Christ has given through his local church. And this table is for you. This meal is for you.